This morning, we continue in 1 Peter, though. And we are, we're moving it from chapter 1 now to chapter 2. And, and if you remember last week, uh, last week, uh, Peter was talking about how we grow in our faith, and particularly how do we have hope, especially in the midst of a hostile world, and especially when, when things don't seem hopeful. And what, he's, what, we, what we realized was, was he said that, that what you know about the future shapes how you grow today, that, that what you know about what's coming next shapes what you do and how you grow today. And so the reason we have hope in Jesus isn't because of like, I hope my circumstance gets better. I hope things change. Instead, what we're saying and what he tells us to do is, is to hope in what's coming. To hope, he says, place your hope in, in the future grace that you're gonna receive when Jesus is revealed. Like, just wait for that day. And that's what we hope for. And we place our hope and our trust and that helps us grow in our experience of faith today. He's gonna continue this theme, but, but, but he switches a little bit to, to become uh, really practical because he also talks about holiness and holy living and, and, he, and, he, and, he, uh, and he quotes Leviticus when, he, uh, when it says that, be holy as I am holy. So, so God is saying that he wants us to be holy for, for he is holy. And Peter tells us the same thing. He says, now listen, in light of what's coming, live today in holiness. But what does that mean? You know, I, I, when I was in seminary, we, um, you know, you take a whole bunch of classes and you learn to kind of do various aspects um, of ministry and you take a bunch of preaching classes. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, uh, you, gotta, you gotta prepare at least a little bit before you just get up here and just start talking, right? And, and so they teach you like, here's how you do it. And here's, here's what a, a good sermon might look like. Here's what, you know, maybe not so great sermons look like. And you're trying to figure out the balance and you gotta add, you know, all this stuff and you gotta make sure you do that. And, all this, and, the, and then you get through all this and, and like, here's this thing. And I got all this information. I got exegesis and I got, I got um, I'm quoting and I'm, I'm pulling out all this stuff. And like, I'm making sure I'm, you're looking at Greek words and Hebrew and all this stuff. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I did it. And, and I remember at one point, uh, well, the pref- professor goes uh, to us in the class, we go through all this, we have this, be- I mean, guys, beautiful outline. Like, like just, this is, this is phenomenal. Like, this is frame it. They should frame this sermon because of how wonderful it is. And he goes, at the end, I remember this, he goes, all right, so what? What do you mean, so what? So what? What's your so what? And, and he goes on to explain, listen, you, without, a, without a here's what you do, what does it matter? So what? You got a bunch of information. People know stuff. So what? And he taught us, you got to have it like everyone. When you listen to a sermon, when you give a sermon, a sermon you got to think, all right, what's the so what? The so what being, all right, what do I do now? So what do I do with this? Okay, I just learned all this. So now what? Uh, help me get practical. Peter is going to do that this morning. He gives us a so what. <laughs> he gives us a, all right, now here's, here's why you got to know all this. Ready? It's going to be very practical and, and it's, it's actually quite simple. What he's going to share is quite simple, but not easy. It's simple, but it is not easy. Mark Twain is quoted as saying this. I love this quote. He says, most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they cannot understand. That's probably true, right? But as for me, this is great. I always notice that the passages in the scriptures which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. <laughs> the problem isn't I don't know what it says. The problem is I, I actually do know what it says. The problem is, so what? What do I do about this now? I, I understand this, 
Now what? How do I live this out? So Peter this morning is gonna help us and he's gonna challenge us to do the so what? To live out what is simple but not easy. Here's what we're gonna see this morning. And if you wanna write this down, you, you can. What we're gonna see throughout this, throughout chapter two, is that how you live is the message you give. That how you live your life is actually the message that you communicate to people. That's cute, right? That's good, that's memorable. I came up with that, right? It's good, it's good, it's good. But also, it's, it's not good because I said it, it's good because it's true, because it's biblical. Yet how you live your life is actually the message you give to people, is what you communicate. Peter is gonna challenge, he's gonna continue to challenge us to live a holy life. In, in chapter two, here's what he says. Therefore, all the stuff I just told you, all the stuff about, about living a holy life and, and uh, because of the future, knowing the future, like living in today in light of the future. Okay, so therefore, here's, here's what you should do. Ready? Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I wish Peter would get a little specific here. I mean, he gets down like, all right, you want to know the so what? Okay, here's, I'm going to give you five things you need to stop doing. And then he says this, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested that the Lord is good. Peter continues his challenge to live a holy life and he does so in two ways. He lists out a negative and a positive and he starts with the negative and he lists out five things Five things that are that, that specifically that, that are on his mind and for good reason. And he mentions the first malice. And malice is intending to harm intending harm on another person. Now, listen, I look around, you you're you're all wonderful people. I know that none of these ever apply to you. Ever. There's never been a time in your life where you were like, man, I hope they get what's coming to them. Right? I know you've never said that, but maybe someone in the world has, okay? Someone else, like someone down your row, like they've done it, but not you, certainly not you. And so malice, like wanting harm, wishing harm on someone else. I talked to someone after last service and they're like, you, the very first one you called out, like I, that's what I struggle with. I'm like, yeah, I know, because it's, the hu- it's our, our human, like it's what we are good at. It's what we feel. It's how we, we want to respond. He mentions deceit, which is distorting the truth. Again, we don't ever do this. You don't ever distort the truth. Until you realize like, like lying isn't just telling an, an untruth or a mistruth. Lying is also, ready? It's not telling the whole truth. Maybe you've been guilty of that. Probably quite a bit. Maybe even this morning, <laughs> right? I mean, maybe even like, like, maybe your kids might be guilty of it. Did you brush your teeth? Yes. This morning? Not quite, but I did brush my teeth at one point in my lifetime, right? I did not lie. Yes, you did. You're just deceit, right? We're good at deceiving. And he says, you got to stop. He mentions hypocrisy, claiming, claiming to live one way, but then to actually live another. Now, again, I wish these were things we dealt with. <laughs> but hypocrisy is one of the things that as a church... Like it's one of our biggest critiques that we say one thing, but we, we live out another. And then he mentions envy. And envy is at its base, like is wanting what someone else has. 
whether it be a promotion or a reward or a job or stuff or, uh, or a life, like I, I want what they have. Again, man, this is, I wish, I wish Peter would, would bring up stuff that, that we struggle with. You know, envies is not one of them, except it is. <laughs> and, and you and I, like we, we can always think about why well, I, I wish that we, I wish we had their thing or had their life. I wish I was like them or I wish I looked like them or I was as talented as them or I wish I could do what you could, like all of this stuff. And, and he says, you got to stop. And then he mentions the last one, slander, which is making a false statement with the intent to harm someone. Now, again, this like, we, we read those and we say, oh, I don't, me? No, I don't do those. Until you remember that, um, that, that, uh, that you're married, if you're married. And there may have been a few times in your relationship you've said things knowing it's gonna push a button. Knowing this is gonna, like, I, no, one, no, one, no one is as good at pushing your buttons as those the people that are closest to you and love you the most but also in that moment are like, this is gonna mess them up. <laughs> and, and you know what? Oh man, aren't we, aren't we guilty of these things? Do you know why Peter brings these up? He brings these five things up. Do you know why? Because they were doing them. <laughs> he doesn't bring up things that are like out there, like the super evil people, like the, the, the worst people in the world. He's, he's bringing up like, listen, listen, as Christians, as followers in, in, the, in the community of faith, you guys, we got to stop doing this. He says, rid yourself of all of this. Get rid of it. This is not the way of Jesus. You got to get rid of all of this stuff. And then he moves on to a positive. So he doesn't just say, don't. He says now, all right, now here's what you should do. Don't do these things because, listen, they are going to mess you up. He's going he's to reference these again. And they, they're like, you're harming yourself. And here's what you should do instead. You need to grow spiritually. Stop doing these things and focus on growing, on growing in your faith. And he mentioned specifically that we need pure spiritual milk so we can grow. And, and, and um, this is true of everything in life. You don't grow or mature by doing nothing. Like you don't grow on accident. Everything that grows needs some, there's some intentionality behind it everything. And he mentions specifically newborn babies and how they crave spiritual milk. Now, I, I don't know if you, if you have children, you remember what it's like, or maybe grandchildren, or, or you, like, you remember what it, what it was like to, to have literally a newborn, an infant uh, at one point in your life. You, I, I, don't, may, I think you know this. You were an infant. Did you know that? <laughs> at one point, and then like yeah, the family around you knows what it was like. You probably don't have, you know, good memory of it, but, but like you went through the stages too. And every single infant craves one thing, milk. And in fact, it's the only thing they can eat or drink, both. <laughs> and, and so much so, like, like even like we, we create formula to, rep to replicate milk, but like, like this is it. And a newborn, you, ha you can only give them, and then eventually you have to like wean them off to, to like solid foods and like kind of up their diet. But it starts with just milk and that's it. And without it, like their body will grow. Their body will do everything it needs, but it needs sustenance. It needs resources. It needs milk to grow. It doesn't just happen on its own. 
Everything needs something to grow. And, 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 and eventually, like these children, like children, your children, they, they get to a point where they can eat real food. Like, like you would never, you would never, you wouldn't even think about showing up to an infant, a newborn, a family that just had a baby. And you're like, hey, I brought some steak. I thought maybe we could feed them. Like, let's get them started early, right? No, that's like, you leave our house. Who are you? What, do, what are you doing? Because that's not how it works. And eventually you get to solid foods and, and your kids do that. And boy, isn't that a fun time? The, the entry of the solid food into the, the little people. And, and like, they are terrible at it. I mean, it's cute the first time, you, you know, you get like the baby food and you're like, oh, and they're trying to, they're trying to eat it. And they're like confused because it's like, I can't swallow it. And it's like, it's half of it's all over here. And you're like, I think that was a success. We got like a spoonful. Yeah, good, right? And, and, and turns out, um, even at a young age, like they still hate vegetables, even at puree. Like, like they spit it all out like, oh, okay, right? And they're just green. And then you get to a point where you start doing solids. We did this obviously with our kids. And I remember one of our kids in particular, um, like they all have foods that they like and then that they, that they hate. And I remember when we introduced spaghetti and it was like, this is, listen, spaghetti's awesome. You guys like spaghetti? I don't know. You, you, if you don't like spaghetti, what's wrong with you? It's, spaghetti's great. So we, we get, you know, cut it all up because you got to get small because, you know, you can't do a long noodle. And so you're trying to just get them used to it, whatever. And so you're like doing the whole thing. You're like, okay, here, here comes the airplane. And they're like laughing and giggling. And you're like, I, you know, if only my college friends could see me now. <laughs> and, you're, and you're like, feed, and, and, then, and then instantly, instantly for our kid, he would just be like, Bleh. Like spaghetti, like the side of spaghetti. And we're like, you got to eat this. I'm like, you're offending your mother. Eat her spaghetti. It's good spaghetti. And he'd be like, swallow me. Like, oh, he kept it down. Like, oh, it's a struggle, right? And, and you have to learn to eat food. Okay, ready? Spiritually, it's the same way. Spiritually, we, when, we, when we first decide to follow Jesus, like you need just milk. You just need the basics. You just need the gospel. And we just, like what, what Paul talks about, like just the basics of faith and really just, just reading the scriptures. And here's, the, here's sort of the intro. Here's what you need to know. But as you grow, hopefully you should get to a point where like Paul says, eventually he says, you should be on solid food by now. And we get to a point where spiritually, we're in our faith, we should be growing and we should be, all right, I'm ready for some more meat. I'm ready for some, some solid food. Some, maybe I'm growing in my theology. I'm understanding more of, of, of the biblical worldview, my understanding of scripture and God and Jesus, and it's all increasing. And, and, it, and, and, that's, and as you grow, that should be the progression. But what, ha- what happens is some of us either get stuck on milk and that's it. And then, we, and then 10 years goes by and we think, man, I really haven't grown much. I wonder why. And you sort of look back and you're like, man, I'm, I'm actually be a little worse off than when I started. Oh, well, what have you been doing to grow in your faith? Well, I don't know. I mean, life got busy. I know, not, not much. Like, well, no, no wonder you're not on solid food. You haven't actually tried to eat solid food. You haven't, you haven't tried to grow in your faith. So Peter says, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. Not, not so that you would be fed, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The point is that you mature in your faith. And he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just like newborn babies crave milk, so you and I should seek spiritual nourishment to grow. And it shouldn't stop at milk. It should continue in our experience as we go close to the Lord that, that our our 
our intake should also change and increase and, and, and develop. Some of the most mature Christians I know are also some of the most well-read. That they're, they're constantly, constantly trying to grow in, in their understanding. And, and, and man, it, it makes a world of difference when, when you realize I need, I need to eat more. I need, I need literally to feast on more scripture. I need to eat more of God's word. And then we see this. Peter's gonna tell us how you respond to Jesus is the most important part of your life. And this is for, this is for you, like on a personal level. This isn't, this isn't for like the collective you, but how you, how you individually respond to Jesus is the most important aspect of your life. Not how your parents responded or how your grandparents or a spouse or children or siblings. When it comes to Jesus, what do you think about him? That is the most, that is the most important aspect of your life. Peter is gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna draw the ultimate line in the sand, a dividing line of, of all right, here's the line. You, if you're ready to cross it, let me tell you what it looks like. And here's what he says. There are two ways, two ways to respond to Jesus and only two ways. Verse four, he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. That's, that's, you, you can maybe get lost. So if we break that down, here's what he's saying. Ready? Growing in your faith is not meant to be done alone. It's not a solo sport. That, that growing spiritually is meant to be done in community. And he says, you, all of us are a living stone. You're a stone as a part of God's house. But here's the deal. It's only when you put them all together that God builds this spiritual house. No stone on its own is, is God's house. Like collectively together, we are what the Bible calls the church. And it's not like the building, the structure. It's not like the, the wood and the things that are actually build this like, facility, even though it's an incredible property. That's not the church. This is where the church meets. You and I, are the stones that build up this church and it's, it's meant to be done in community. And, and so many people, this is one of the reasons I think so many people get stalled in their faith is, is, is that they're, they're practicing their faith in isolation and not in community. And you think like, hey, listen, I can do this on my own. I'm good. I don't need, I, I remember having friends even got, getting to a point where I don't even need to go to church because I'm good on my own. And, and I, I'm being so like, so frustrated, but also kind of just saddened. Like, oh man, like you think, you think that we're a drain on you. Like, like this should be life-giving. And instead you're just saying, I'm out. You're quitting on, on this. And, and the rest of the body suffers. That faith, faith was meant to be done together. And we're all a stone. And the, 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 the more, like the, the great, like the thing that's greater than just a stone by itself is what the stones create. This, this house, this spiritual house through Jesus. And then he says this, for in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone, this cornerstone is precious. 
this stone is this cornerstone and it's the most important stone in the building when they would, when they would build buildings or homes or whatever they were creating, synagogue, and because it was the one that all the other stones lined up with. So if this stone was off, even just a degree, the rest of the home or the walls would just totally be off. By the time you get to the end, nothing lines up. So you took your time. This cornerstone, you gotta make sure it's lined up perfectly where you want it to go. Okay, that's it, don't touch it. We've measured it. We know what's going to... And then the rest of the stones all line up to that one. It is the most important stone in the foundation. And here's what we see, that the stone and the spiritual house that God is building is none other than Jesus himself, um, um, which all the rest of us must line up to. That this stone, this cornerstone is precious. And that those who've, who've trusted in him know it to be so. And here's how you know. Here's how you know if if this stone is precious to you. If we were to line up, we write a list out. Maybe I should have done this. Next time I preach this, whenever that is. Next week, we'll do the same sermon. Sound good? If we were to list out the, the names of sort of all of the, the religious leaders, the, 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 world, the greatest world, like the largest world religions, the, 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 the most well-known ones, and we'd list out all of sort of the religious leaders who kind of like champion that faith, and we'd just list them all, and you would just read them. We'd read them out loud. You would go through and you would read one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then you read Jesus. And if there's a personal response where you say, okay, those are, those are names, but that's my Jesus. That's how you know if this stone is precious to you or not, where you say, oh, no, no, the, like this one, the, the Jesus, like that means something to me. That's more than just a, a person lined up in a line of, of other religious leaders. This, he's different. He says, for you, for those who have put their faith in him, who believe in him, who've trusted, who've given their life to him, this stone, I mean, there's no other word, is precious. Like it is, it is valuable beyond all the other stones. But not everyone sees this stone as precious. He continues, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, that there are those who reject this stone. And then he quotes another scripture. He says, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And they stumble, he says, because they disobey the message, which is, what they were, which is also what they were destined for. There are many who reject this stone. It was true then, and it's certainly true for us today. There are plenty of people, there are people you know that reject this stone. I imagine in a room this size with you know, a couple hundred of us, there, there are people in here who've rejected and maybe are currently rejecting this stone. This is not new to us. This has been going on since Jesus was around and, and people have been rejecting and stumbling over Jesus. And, and I, remember, I remember when I was new to faith, I didn't grow up a Christian. So when I became a Christian later, it, like it was all new to me, all fresh, like reading the Bible, reading the scriptures was all new. It was all for the first time. And I remember getting to a point where I'm, I'm reading uh, like this particular passage and talking with other people and they're talking about Jesus being a stumbling block for other people. And I was so confused. It didn't make sense to me. Because for me, it was like, Jesus was the answer to all my issues, my questions, my problems, my doubts. He wasn't a stumbling block. It was like, I found it. I found it. But for other people, and I'm thinking, God, why would you make, it's like, did you make intentionally? Did you make Jesus a stumbling block? Like, did you make it so that he was the rock that would cause people to fall? Like, why, how is it, how is that? Because in my mind, like Jesus, like I'm new to faith, Jesus like the things he said were, love your neighbor as yourself. Like 
Anyone disagree? Anyone, anyone think that's terrible advice? <laughs> that you should love everyone else as you love yourself. That's, that's a pretty good rule. That might be even a golden rule. <laughs> like, like, oh, Jesus came up with that. Like a lot of the stuff that we talk about that we, that we are like, yeah, this is like sayings that we have are, are things that Jesus taught. He taught about forgiveness and grace and goodness and, 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 uh, and he, was, he, was, he was for the little guy and he forgave the people that, that needed it and he was harsh with those who were judgmental. It was like, yeah, man, I get Jesus. How can that guy be a stumbling block? And then I became to realize that as I matured in my faith that it has nothing to do about Jesus that the stumbling block is, is actually something different. It's not like the, the name Jesus, not like the five letters, J-E-S-U-S. You know, everything's fine. And then you say that and people are like, oh, you said the letters. I mean, they might have that reaction, but, but it's, not, it's not to those letters in that form, like in that, in that, like in that, uh, in that order. It's, it's because it means something so much more. And it isn't, listen, here's what I've come to learn. It isn't even Jesus that they're anti. It isn't even like the person that they're against. Because those same people will say like, I can respect Jesus. I think he had a lot of good things to say. I think he's a good prophet. I think, you know, and they'll just go down the laundry list of like why he should be respected. And there's so much so that there's a guy who wrote a book. The book's called, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. Like the, the issue isn't with Jesus. I realized that the issue, the, the problem that people have, the reason they stumble, the, the rock that makes them fall, the reason it's Jesus is because it's about a power struggle. And it's about, it's about who, who's in control, who's in charge here. And the struggle is over, hey, listen, listen, especially, especially as Americans who, who value freedom, listen, I'm gonna make my own decisions. I can control my life. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody gets to live my life for me or to tell me I'm doing something wrong or right. Like I get to decide what I do. I control my own future, my own destiny. And then when you get to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, you wanna follow me? And you're like, yeah, sure. And he says, here's, all, here's what I need. This is all I need, ready? I need you to give me control. What did you just say? That's the one thing that I want. No, 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 listen, you wanna follow me? Here's what I need. I need you to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then you can follow me. Hold on. Can I just like pray a few times? Well, well, yeah, you, that's, a, that's a great start, but I need more than that. And the issue isn't Jesus. The issue is what he asks of us. He asks us to give control. And people, for a lot of people, for most people, that cost is too high. It's too much. To give you control? No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to change my life for you. And for them, they stumble. And Jesus very much is a rock that makes them fall. This precious stone that we love is one they trip over. But, but those who do believe, he continues, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, this is incredible language describing the church and what we are. A holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then he says this, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, oh, now you have received mercy. 
You are now a part of God's people. You belong to him. And he brought you out of darkness and brought you into light. And once you were isolated from God, but now you're with him and you're with other people. And now you are actually a people of God himself. Here's what he's saying. Because of that now, it should affect your life. And, and how you live is the message you give. How you live out your faith is seen by those who, who don't know Jesus. How you live out your faith is seen by Christians around you. And I, listen, I promise you, you might not think so. I promise you, they're watching. They are watching you. And they're waiting for you to mess up. They're waiting for you to make a mistake. They're waiting for you to do something wrong and then they'll jump on it. And if any of you had this experience where someone will call you out, I've had this, where they would say like, um, they, particularly like family members that, that they're not Christians and, um, and then they'll, they'll say, they'll decide something that, um, that I should have done or didn't do and they'll say, well, that, you know, Brandon, it's not, you're not being very Christian. Oh, and right away, my, def my defenses go up and I, this, this is my response. Okay, I'm gonna be super honest with you. My first response is, who the heck do you think you are? telling me how to live out my faith? You aren't even a Christian. How do you know what it's like to be a Christian and what it's supposed to be? I don't say it like that because that's not the, maybe the proper response, but I write it down and I mail it to him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my, 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 my inclination is, hold on now. Why do you get to tell me? I don't tell you how to live your life. And the reason is because it's not fair. There is a double standard. Ready? And it's one you signed up for. When you chose to follow Jesus, you signed up for this, that you would be held to a different standard than the rest of the world. Here's the deal. For a lot of people, your life is the only Bible they will ever read. Like there's people in your life, there's friends, there's, there's family members, there's, there's neighbors, there's coworkers. They, they, for them to pick up a Bible and start reading, I mean, it's not even in there. Like it's not even remotely an option for them. Like I would never read that but they're watching you. They're reading your life and they're saying, do you believe this? Like, like if they looked at your life, would they know what the Bible says? Would they know the kind of person Jesus was? Because for a lot of people, you are the only Bible they will ever read because how you live, it is, it really is the message that you give. So Peter, knowing this, he restates again, a negative and a positive. He says this, verse 11, dear friends, I urge you, He's gonna go back to the negative as foreigners, as exiles, as if you remember last week, as strangers who are not supposed to be here. Like our home is a different place. We're just here temporarily. Here's what I want you to do. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's already mentioned five. There are so many others. And he says, listen, you gotta stop. You, the, the, like the stuff that's inside of you, your selfish desires, your sinful desires, you, you have to, you have to abstain. You have to stop doing those things. And, and listen, you, at some point, if we're honest, you don't need a list of what those are. You know. You, and you know which ones you struggle with. You know which ones are hard for you. You know what they are. And then he goes on, he says, you need to, you need to, the, you have to abstain. You have to stop doing these sinful desires, which wage war against your soul that you've seen, you felt, and you know how firsthand how destructive they are. You've seen in other people and, and how, and how destructive it is against you. It isn't like, here's the rules, here's, the, here's all the don'ts, you gotta stop doing these things or else it's, hey, stop doing these things because they're harmful for you. Like you don't have to, you, you, listen, 
you don't have to tell someone to stop drinking poison. Once they find out and they realize, oh, this is poisonous. And then it's like, how do I get it out? You don't have to tell someone if it's harmful for yourself, you don't have to remind them, oh, by the way, hey, that's gonna kill you. Or, or if they do know, it's like, okay, well, I warned you. <laughs> you and I, we know, we, you know the things that are, that are sinful in us that, we, that wage war against our soul and we, we felt it. And then he says this, he switches to the positive. So instead he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Instead of pursuing sinful desires, he says, pursue living out your faith. How you live is the message you give. So instead of living selfishly, live selflessly, thinking, thinking about others. And, and instead, of, instead of doing what you want, instead live in such a way that other people will look at you and say, I, listen, I, I don't know about all the Christians, but man, this is a good one. This one means it. One of my goals in life is um, like when I, when I think about like what it means, like evangelism, it's a really big word, like what it means to share our faith and to live out your faith. For me, like at the base level, at like the, the, the kind of the foundation, here's what I want. I try to rehabilitate the name Christian because right now it's, it's negative. You say you're a Christian and instantly people have all kinds of ideas and thoughts and, and judgments that are placed on you. So my job then, I see myself as saying, hey, I want to redefine what Christian means for you. And I want it to, if it's a negative, I want it to be a positive. I want you to go, you know what? I don't know all of them, but like, man, I, I know that one is, that one's good. Now, uh, by no means am I perfect. Did that sound like I was bragging? <laughs> Because trust me, I am, I am nowhere near at a place where, like, like Paul says, like, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Whoa, easy. But listen, for you and I, if we're gonna live holy, if, we're gonna, if, the, if the bar is, is separate, for, different for us, that the, we have a higher standard and that high, the high bar is holiness, then you and I, our job is to realize how we live communicates the gospel. What you do, decisions you make, the words you use, how you talk to people, the, the decisions you make in business, how you carry yourself, how, you, what your, how your family interacts with other people, like all of that communicates if you believe the gospel or not. The me, the, how you live is the message you give. So live in such a way that when people read your life, they're actually reading an accurate view of who Jesus is. Would you do this? Would you stand with me as we worship the Lord together and we and, and we, we we challenge ourselves to do just that would you would you bow with me so Lord we we thank you for your word and for who you are and right now we just pray I pray for all of us that we would understand how we live really is the message that we give and and, and that we really are for a lot of people in our lives, we are the only Bible they will ever read. So, so Lord, help us understand both the, the weight of that, the responsibility, but also the opportunity to live in such a way that other people look at us and will, like Peter says, one day glorify God because of how faithful we were. Jesus, increase our faith in you increase our opportunity to, to live out the gospel in a hostile world. And may we continue 
to become more and more like you, Jesus, each and every day. We worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name.